As mentioned previously, all over the globe this morning, congregations within Mennonite World Conference are gathering for Peace Sunday around this theme of participating in God's family. And together we are exploring what makes a family a space in which people can embody just and peaceful relationships with one another, witnessing to God's shalom. And when I think about what it means to embody justice and peacemaking, I'm reminded of the Cornell West quote, never forget that justice is what love looks like in public. But of course, any family member knows that what a family embodies in public is shaped by how a family functions behind closed doors. Am I right? Family systems theory is a theory of human behavior that defines the family unit as a complex social system in which members interact to influence each other's behaviors. Does that sound like church at all? A little bit. <laughs> is it any wonder that we describe the church as the family? of God. It is quite a complex social system, isn't it? And this morning I want to draw our attentions to uh, three factors that I think impact how our family system functions. This of course is not an exhaustive list, right? <laughs> One of the things that impacts the way a family functions is the history that a family carries with them. Also, how a family engages with conflict and how we even define family in the first place. So let's start with a little bit of family history. And I've laid um, along the pews some family trees of the church. So I invite you to take one, pass it down, take a look. You might need to share. There are a few extra copies on the front pews here. I mean, look at this. There's a lot going on on this page, isn't there? That's a huge family tree. And then that little highlighted box, just that little tiny box, that's the Mennonite part of the family of God. It's just a small fraction of God's family. Now, in one of my classes, I'm learning about trauma-informed pastoral care. And I can't help but notice when I look at this family tree, there is a lot of trauma in this tree. The church was birthed into trauma. The Mennonite tradition was born in trauma. And as Richard Rohr says, if we do not transform our pain, we will transact it. Think about the persecution that lies at the origins of the Anabaptist tradition. One of the key symbols of this is that 
It was a common wedding gift for Mennonites throughout history to receive what book on their wedding day? The Martyr's Mirror. For those of you who aren't aware of what the Martyr's Mirror is, it is a book that tells the stories of over 4,000 people who were martyred from the time of Jesus' death to the 1600s, and that only includes those who were nonviolent resistors. That's a lot of trauma. And that persecution led to the displacement of many people. It's why the Mennonite church can feel so ethnic. Because it is. Because in the 1500s, people didn't just wander into Mennonite congregations for a visit on Sunday morning. Well, we're new in the area, we thought we'd try it out. That's not how things were operating back then. The Mennonite denomination functioned as a tight, safeguarded community out of necessity. It was dangerous to be Mennonite. I wonder today how much the way we carry out our traditions is connected still to this kind of trauma. More and more science teaches us that trauma is transgenerational. It passes down biologically to subsequent offspring for multiple generations. So when a child is born, they share cells with their mother and they give cells to their mother for multiple generations. And when a mother has experienced trauma, that trauma lives in those cells and is passed down. But seldom have we acknowledged the trauma in the lives and, sorry, the trauma that lives and breathes throughout the generations within our church. And this trauma has huge implications for how the church engages in conflict. The therapy field currently recognizes four human responses to trauma. Does anyone know what they are? Trauma responses. Fight, right? So fight, which is the impulse to engage, to respond, to aggress, to meet conflict head on, sometimes even in kind, right? What's another one? Flight, right? The, the impulse to avoid, to flee, to get out of there, right? There's a third one that recently came to our knowledge. Freeze, right? To shut down, that the body shuts down. We try and tune it out. We may even dissociate. We may mentally go to a different place in our minds to avoid conflict. And there's actually a fourth one that has just recently come into the field. Does anyone know what it is? Fawn, right. That there's an impulse in some people when met with conflict to appease their aggressor, right? They fawn maybe even do favors for the aggressor. Now I'm conscious that even talking about trauma is triggering for people. So I just wanna take a moment and invite you to take three deep breaths with me. Ready? Another.
And one last one. And when you breathe in, I want you to hold it for a few seconds, if you can, before breathing out slower. Hold it. Maybe take a moment to notice some concrete objects in the room. It might be helpful for some of you to pick up a hymnal and feel the weight of the book in your hands. And I invite you, if there are moments where you feel triggered throughout the rest of this morning, to hold that book just to center your attention. It's okay, and we will take care of one another. If within the family of God we haven't worked to heal the trauma we carry, we can resort to these common trauma responses. We might get aggressive. We might get out of here. <laughs> we might totally freeze and shut down. Or we might just try to appease people, right? That can be really, really dangerous for our family system. One of the most common reflections that I hear when I talk to Mennonites about conflict is that Mennonites have done great work with other nations, with other communities to work towards peacemaking and healing. But I often hear from Mennonites articulated about our own community that we really struggle to navigate conflict within our own family. Andres Lozano says wisely, family is not characterized by the absence of conflict, but more about how conflict and tension are addressed. Can we bring ourselves to safely engage in what Todd called last week that hard, holy work of moving toward one another? Can we seek support when we don't feel faith, safe to move toward one another? in conflict. Maybe it's not safe. Are we supporting one another in that case? And are faith leaders resourcing and empowering people through referrals to professional counselors, through teaching spiritual practices that help people navigate conflict and bring healing? These are important questions that we have to ask ourselves. And how much and much of our participation in the family of God is derived from how we define family in the first place. As we live in a world that gives so much attention to certain images of the family, forgetting how social construction has shaped our ideas of what family is supposed to be, we tend to lose sight of what lies at the center of family, which is relationship. When I was tentatively putting down roots here at East Chestnut Street, I was invited to attend the music and worship leader retreat up at Laurelville campgrounds. And it was a really formative time for me. And the theme of the weekend was, who are my people? And what I didn't share with a lot of people when I returned from that weekend was that when I heard that theme, I panicked. This was what seemed to me, after all, a gathering of the who's who of the East Coast Mennonites. And I was a newbie. I grew up Presbyterian. I didn't belong. And it wasn't long before people started asking me my family name. 
desperately trying to place me in the network of their communities, of their understood family. During downtime, after worship was over, people were gathering and they weren't playing the popular game Cards Against Humanity, but they were playing a homemade version of that game called Cards Against Mennonites. I was not equipped to play. You can't make this stuff up. I had a strong sense that maybe I wasn't their people. Much to my surprise during the open mic sharing, person after person stood up expressing the very same sentiments that I was feeling. That they had come into the Mennonite tradition later in life. Some people had been in the church five years, 10 years, some 20 years. One woman shared that she had been in the Mennonite church for over 35 years and still fundamentally felt like she didn't belong. I left the retreat wondering if I would ever feel like I really belonged. And as a pastor of a Mennonite church, I can honestly tell you that sometimes I do. Does anybody else in the room share that sentiment? I know this is vulnerable, but by a show of hands, how many in the room have struggled with a sense of belonging in the church at one time or another in life? It's a lot of hands. Right? These are just some of the challenges of our particular context. And it is very particular. It's just that little box on a pretty big page. But we know that these kinds of challenges plague the broader church. Questions of who is family and who is not based on all kinds of particularities. But you know what's incredible? In Matthew chapter 12, Jesus is blowing up this little box. All through chapter 12, Jesus has been breaking down the cultural markers of his own faith tradition. He's moving from place to place. He's healing people on the Sabbath. He's preaching things that are very confrontational. And it gets to the point where finally his family comes to find him. And if you read it within the context of the chapter, it kind of seems like there's been confrontation after confrontation after confrontation. And finally, Jesus' mom shows up, right? And you almost get the sense that the family is there to rein Jesus in, to get him back in line. And when someone comes into the room to tell Jesus, hey, yo, um, Jesus, great sermon, by the way. You're doing awesome. Um, your, your mom is outside. She, she'd like to talk to you. And Jesus' response, who is my mother? Who are my brothers? Here are my mother and my brothers. Whoever does the will of my Father in heaven are my brother and my sister and my mother. You can just imagine the poor guy who had to talk to him about this. Like, do you, 
did you want to tell them that or did you want? Oh, no, no, I got it. Yeah, won't be awkward. It's fine, right? Jesus totally blows up the concept of family. He explodes the box. He expands it, right? Expand. Do it with me. Come on. Expand. He says, oh, oh. You, you think family is about our biological... No, no, no. It's not about our biological... Oh, you think, you think family is the people who look like you, who sound... No, 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 no. You think family are the men and I... No, no, it's not the men. Oh, you think family are Christians? No, no, no. Whoever does the will of my Father in heaven, those are my mother and my sister and my brother. And during his final moments with those closest to him, Jesus prays to the Father that we may be one, not just with one another, but with God, that we are invited into the intimate relationship of family. If we want to be peacemakers, if we want to embody justice and witness to the world God's shalom, we must be one with whoever does the will of the Father. Until, as Maynard so beautifully put it two weeks ago, our neighbors say, look how they love one another. Amen.